0: If you want to grab a Bible, if you would turn, please, to, to Luke chapter 2. Sort of the verses that we read is largely where we're going to be this morning. In fact, it's the only place we're going to be. So if you turn either in or turn on to Luke chapter 2, you will be in the right place. If for some reason, and we probably might do it for different reasons, if for some reason you were to read the copyright information for Hark the Herald Angels Sing, if you just read that, You might come away thinking that the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing was a joint project between Charles Wesley and Felix Mendelssohn. I mean, that's whose names show up on the copyright information. So you say, oh, that's who did the song. You might think, hey, they must have sat down one day and kind of worked out this song together. Well, that wouldn't really be the exact story. Uh, Today, if you wanted to sing Happy Birthday, you could sing Happy Birthday to Charles Wesley because today would be Charles Wesley's 309th birthday. He was the youngest of 18 children, so how often he got sung Happy Birthday to, I don't know. Of course, if he had 18 kids, you're probably singing Happy Birthday every other day kind of a thing, so maybe he got it. But he died in 1788. Felix Mendelssohn wasn't born until 1809, or 1809, excuse me, get my math right. So they never actually were on earth at the same time. So the fact that it was a joint project, it really wasn't. But you think, oh, well, he wrote the words and he wrote the song and they somehow combined. Not exactly the whole story. There's a little more to the story. Charles Wesley wrote the words to what we know, or actually to be more precise, he wrote most of the words of the song we know as Hark the Herald Angels Sing in 1739. And very quickly it became a song that people began to sing and it began to be distributed, which he was very happy with. But for some reason, and we don't know that he did this with other songs, but at least with this song, his version of it at least, he put in writing that he didn't want anybody to change any of the wording. The way he wrote it is how it was to be done. Now why would I point that out? Well, the reason I point that out, because 14 years later in 1753, Charles... Wesley's words were changed by George Whitfield. He took the first line, the first verse, we kind of get the title from, and changed it. Charles Wesley's words are the ones on the top of the screen. Hark how all the welkins ring, glory to the king of kings. How many of you have ever sung that version? Okay, most of us have sung the version of, Charles, of George Whitfield's words, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. That's kind of how we know the song. So the words weren't supposed to be changed, but they were. Now, in terms of the musical score of the song, Wesley wanted the word sung to a very slow, somber tune. And from what we understand, probably for the first hundred years or so that the song was sung, it probably was sung to that kind of a tune. But then, in 1840, Felix Mendelssohn wrote a cantata. Now, if you grew up like I did in a church sort of environment, I hear the word cantata, I'm thinking, well, it's either going to be something for Christmas or something for Easter. But Felix Mendelssohn wrote a cantata to celebrate Johann Gutenberg and the printing press. And so they were going to celebrate the printing press. They were going to sing about the printing press. And now I do think that's probably the greatest invention of all time, personally, Maybe next to sliced bread, kind of a thing. But you know, we should celebrate printing presses. But he's going to sing to the printing press. And for some reason, before he died, he wrote it in eighteen forty. In eighteen forty, he died in eighteen forty-seven. Somewhere in between there, he decreed that my music for this this cantata can only be used for purely secular purposes. We don't know why, but that's what he said. Well, he died. And just so you know, when you die, you kind of lose your say in a lot of things. So in 1853, a guy by the name of Dr. William Cummings took the altered words of the song and took the music of one of the songs from the cantata to the printing press and put them together. And since 1853, we all sing hark the herald angels sing in a very unexpected way. It wasn't the way the song was to be. When Charles Wesley wrote it, you and I are not singing what he expected. Now that may seem odd, but in some ways, maybe that's how Christmas kind of plays out. Whenever you take the story of Christmas and include an angel, you get some unexpected things. So maybe a song to angels, or about angels around Christmas, maybe it makes sense. I mean, think about it for a second. If you were to look in Luke chapter 1, and early in Luke Chapter One, an angel shows up and appears to a guy by the name of Zechariah in the temple. Do you think he was expecting that, or what about a little later in Genesis or in Luke chapter one, when an angel shows up to Mary? she was not expecting that to be told, "Hey, you're going to have a baby." how's that work she was unexpected and and maybe not to the same level as mary but probably pretty close we looked last week at matthew chapter one how unexpected was it for joseph to have an angel show up and tell him what he told him somehow there is something about christmas when you bring in an angel that brings unexpected things something we don't anticipate there is something unexpected about christmas Now, for you and I, Christmas can seem very common, but what I'd like us to do to kind of capture some of what Christmas is about is we're going to understand the story behind Hark the Herald Angels Sing, not the story, but really the biblical story behind it, is we need to understand that there are some surprises that happen when an angel shows up to talk to shepherds. And I want us really this morning to talk about three surprises, three surprises that came into being that no one expected when this angel showed up to talk to the shepherds. Okay, surprise number one. What did they not expect? What was more unexpected things that happened? Surprise number one is that average recipients of an incredible message. These average recipients received an incredible message. I want to ask you a question this morning. Let's suppose you had a big message you wanted to share. okay, A huge message you wanted to get out to as many people as you possibly could what would you do to get it out? What would you do to communicate it, to get people to pay attention to it? Maybe to shift it and I do this. I'm always hesitant to talk about politics because I know very little about politics, but presidential transition kind of comes into play here. I don't know how many of you are paying attention to President-elect Trump's nominees for his cabinet posts, but... Tuesday, the staff had a Christmas party and we were um, in, a, in a restaurant eating lunch together and there were TVs all around. <clears throat> and as we were sitting there, I was asked, well, what do you think of the Secretary of State nominee? And I said, well, I, to be honest, since I used to work in the oil industry, I wasn't thinking of an oil executive to be the Secretary of State. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's energy seemed like a better portfolio from where I was coming. What I didn't know as I'm saying that is, behind, above my head, the people asked the the staff on the other side of the table can read on the screen that President Trump's elect nominee Rex Tillerson was being endorsed by former Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who served both President Bush and President Obama. And then, oh yeah, by the way, a couple of former Secretaries of State were now talking about it: James Baker and Condoleezza Rice they said what do you think of that i said well i guess he must be okay i if you got these people in the north Seam, that's kind of how we get big messages out in our culture if you want to get something big out what you do is you get prominent impressive people to start saying things about it and then it's good that's how you get the message out well is that how it happened the first christmas is that how it took place well look at Luke chapter two, verses eight to ten, kind of jump into the story, and it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks, by their, over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I want to back up just for a second. We're going to get back to the question, but I want to back up and just, well, back up by going to verse 10, really. I want to say, is this message really amazing? Is this message something important we need to notice? I mean, an angel who literally is a messenger sent by God is starting to share this incredible message. And the big thrust of the message seems to be this message is about great joy. Now, when you and I hear great joy, one of the things we need to be careful of is personally, when I hear great joy, sometimes I'm thinking, "Am I going to have great joy? Am I going to have this wonderful feeling inside where I'm like, "Yeah, this is really cool. I'm enjoying this." Well, that's really not the focus of great joy here. It's not about you having sort of an extra wowness. By great joy here, the angel is literally basically is literally saying, "The joy of all time is about to be released." The joy that all of creation has been waiting for, literally all the joy that could ever be expressed, is now exploding. Okay, This is cosmic, eternal joy. This isn't just, oh, you're going to have a nice day. This is joy on a whole nother level. He's saying, here's this amazing thing. God has made promises. And God now, in this moment, wants to declare, hey, great joy is coming. The Messiah everyone was looking for is now coming. He's here. He's coming. We don't want you to miss this amazing joy. Now one of the dangers is you and I very easily can go through, and I pointed this out. You guys did better. I just want you to pat yourselves on the back. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I don't know if you know this has four verses. You guys did much better singing the fourth verse than the first service. We got to the end of the third verse of the first service and everybody went, okay. Oh, there's another verse. Okay. Okay. But the thing is, you and I know the first three verses really well, so what happens? We can just sort of read through them, sing through them, and not pay attention. But I want you to just ponder with me for a second some of the words of verse 1. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join with triumph of the skies. What kind of joy are we talking about? We're talking about something nations, worldwide. We're talking about something that gets the skies excited. Okay? This is the incredibleness of the message. It is big. It is great joy. It's a joy that literally can change everything. Okay, So if a presidential announcement seems big, this might be even a little bigger. So then the question becomes, if this is amazing messages, how do you get it out? How do you get this amazing message communicated? How does God and the angel want to get it out? Who are they looking to to affirm their message so that other people will believe it? We'll zoom in on verses eight and nine. Who is it? It's shepherds. God is entrusting shepherds. Now, a quick observation. We know from later Jewish history, sort of the 5th century AD, so you know, 400-ish years later, we know from that era that shepherds literally had terrible reputations. Okay? They were known as basically thieves. They were people who couldn't testify in a court of law. They weren't regarded well. We know from early biblical history, going back to the book of Exodus, that the Egyptians thought very little of shepherds. What we don't know is during that time of going from B.C. to A.D. when Jesus was born, if shepherds were seen as terrible people. We know they have been, but were they at this point? We don't know for sure. What we do know then at this point is at best, at best, these shepherds were viewed as simply common people. They were not people of elite status. They were not former cabinet members that would be paid all kinds of money to give speeches around the world. No, these were simply hard-working, common people. Part of the surprise of Christmas, part of what we should capture, the wonder that should kind of make us, whoa, is that God would take this amazing message, His amazing message, and He'd entrust it to common people. He wasn't looking for some elite superstar. He said, I'm going to trust it to common people. And you say, why would he do that? Well, maybe the short answer is found just by going back and looking at verse 10 again. This incredible message, this great joy is to all people. It's to all people. Now, we can go, yeah, okay, great, let's move on. Folks, before we move on, please, let's just notice two, I think, important implications. Two things that we shouldn't just blow past. Okay? Implication number one would simply be, and we've sort of already said it, but let's underline it. God wants common people to hear the message of Christmas. God wants everyday people to hear there's incredible joy. So part of what that means, folks, is there's literally people in our lives People we rub shoulders with, people we interact with, maybe people we work with or or see in the course of going to school or or whatever it is we're doing. Just common people. He wants them to hear the message. Second implication, not only does God want common people to hear the message, but I kind of wonder if God told the shepherds. I think he told them because he wanted common people to share the message. Look at verses 15 to 17, just really quick, kind of. What, how the shepherds responded to all of what they saw. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, what did they do? They made it known, saying that Sorry, they made it known the saying what had been told them concerning the child. Okay, they understood. They were supposed to share this amazing message. Part of the implication of Christmas we need to understand is He wants us to share His message. As common people, He wants us to simply share it. To communicate it. To, to put it in words of our core values that that prayer guy we mentioned earlier is going to hit on. Is God is asking us to encourage others to follow Jesus. That's how it's going to happen. God said, I'm going to take this amazing, incredible message and I'm going to give it to pretty average recipients. That's part of the wonder of Christmas. Incredible message to us to receive and to share. Second surprise of Christmas. Second surprise when an angel is involved is that an amazing baby is found in an odd place. An amazing baby found in an odd place place go back and look at verses 11 and 12 with me the angel shares more of the message for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger if we're going to capture something of the amazingness of the baby, I think we need to just take a minute and consider the three descriptors of the baby. The three sort of labels used. Okay, The first is, is Savior. And the idea of the fact that this baby is the Savior is He's telling us that part of what makes this baby amazing is because this baby is the one who is going to deliver people from peril. He's the one who's going to deliver people from their sin. He's also the one who is going to deliver people from the greatest enemy they will face. And our greatest enemy, folks, is death. But He's telling us, the angel is telling us that this baby is the Savior. Not that He might be, but that He is the Savior. And He delivers us from those things. Okay? So He's the Savior. But not only is He the Savior, He's also the Christ. Now, I don't want to get over-geeky or over-technical, but it's important for us to understand sort of the chain of the words. Christ, obviously, is an English word. It's an English word to translate the Greek word Christos. But when Luke wrote the word Christos, what he was meaning, what he was thinking, was he was taking a Greek word and thinking back to a Hebrew word that we get the word Messiah from. The Messiah was understood to be the anointed ruler of God, sort of God's anointed ruler. So we're being told, guess what? This baby, part of what makes this baby amazing is the ruler that the people have been looking for, the Messiah they have been awaiting to get them, to help them in their oppression and in their frustration and all the struggles of life. Guess what? That's who this baby is. This baby is the Messiah. There, there's an expression that everything rises and falls on leadership. This baby is the leader that's going to rise everything. This baby is the leader that's going to put everything back the way it should be. This baby is the leader that's going to make life great and amazing. So this baby is the Savior. This baby is the Christ. But this baby is also the Lord. The word Lord is a New Testament way of describing the baby with the Old Testament picture of God revealing himself to Moses at the burning bush. This baby is Yahweh. This baby isn't just the savior who came to deliver, he is that. This baby isn't just the God's anointed ruler, he is that. This baby is also God himself. This baby is God himself. Part of my greatest fear for my own life, for our lives as a church, is we can kind of go through Christmas and sing a few songs and go, okay, Christmas is done, let's move on. And fail to capture the incredible wonder of the fact of who this amazing baby is. That he is the Savior, that he is the Christ, that he is God Himself. And there's something about that that really should, I believe, take the air out of our lungs when we realize who this baby is. He's not just any old baby. He's the amazing baby. And again, we can sing, hark the herald angels sing, yeah, I've sung this song a lot of times, but just look at some words from verse 2 of the song. I want us to ponder verse 11 in the verses, but in the song, what does it say? It says, Christ by highest heaven adored. What should heaven adore? Christ. What is He? He's Christ the what? Everlasting Lord. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. It's easy to sing those words and go, yeah, i sung that song, great. Folks, we must capture the incredible unexpectedness that the Creator would come and be among us. Be one of us. I don't know if, we don't know this because the Bible doesn't say, but here's speculation, and I say speculation. How many of you have ever been around a baby that had a diaper rash? How many of you would want to be a baby that had a diaper rash? Or how many of you, because our grandson is doing this right now, teething. Consider for a moment. Jesus did those things. That's meant to capture us. The amazingness of the baby, I think, is even highlighted a little bit in verse 12. If you think of verse 12, and it talks about where the baby was born, where would you think the most amazing baby ever born would be born? Would you anticipate that the most amazing baby ever born would be found in a feeding trough In a forgotten town. And yet that's exactly where it took place. There's something about Christmas that's unexpected. And we should be surprised. We should be wondered and drawn to Him. Third surprise of Christmas. There's astonishing results. Christmas brings to life some astonishing results. I don't know if you have ever sort of pondered, what is it that would get heaven excited? What is it that gets heaven all pumped up? What is it that would need to happen so that a throng of angels, literally an army of angels would gather and break out and praise to God? What would it take? What would be the thing that would ignite that? Look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. Folks, that phrase, a multitude of heavenly hosts, whenever the Bible talks about a host related to something angelic, that's an army. Okay, this this isn't a hostess party. This is literally the army of God and what are they doing they are praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased the thing that gets heaven excited the thing that gets the angels to praise him to maybe even essence sing to him are the results of christmas the thing that gets them all pumped up is because christmas happens And not just that it happens, but what Christmas leads. to. So what does Christmas lead to? What are the results of Christmas? We're told in advance what they are, and there's basically two of them. One of the results of Christmas, the first phrase there in verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Because of the story of Christmas, God is going to be glorified. Because of the unfolding of God fulfilling His promises, God's going to be glorified. And if Basically, a throng, an army of angels is praising Him. Basically, the picture is every spiritual being is going to see how incredible and amazing God is. He is going to be rightly lifted up. Now you and I can say, well, that's in heaven and I don't have a vantage point into heaven. We don't. And we say, well, so does this even matter to me? Please understand this it may be going on in heaven that God's name is exalted and God's name is being lifted up. But we need to understand if life is going to be the way it's supposed to be, it starts with God being glorified. When God is rightly seen and rightly understood, then life begins to be what it's supposed to be. Which means when God is glorified, one of the ripple effects of God being glorified is it is always for our good. It means our lives can be. There's that open door that our lives can be what they should be. And that's an incredible gift to us. What is it that our lives are supposed to be? What does that mean? Well, look at the second result of Christmas. The, The earthly result of Christmas has to do with this idea of peace on earth. Now, the words of verse 14 can be a little challenging to translate, So if you read different English versions of the Bible, you'd see they struggle a little bit. I, I think this translation, the one on the screen, is, is probably the best translation of that verse. See, the idea of verse 14, the idea of this message is when it talks about those with whom He is pleased, is it's telling us that people who've come to the point in life where they've trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior Okay, so people that have heard the story of Jesus, those are people God's pleased by. They've heard the story and they've trusted Christ. Those people are going to experience God's peace in their lives. Now, when we talk about God's peace, we're not just talking about peace in terms of the absence of conflict. Now, we do need that kind of peace. And I'm realizing the same thing I forgot in the first service. We should have only prayed this morning and I'd ask you to pray. We need to be praying for peace in Aleppo, Syria. Okay, There is a need for the conflict to end for people that have been living literally in civil war for it to be done. We need that kind of peace. But that's not just what this is talking about. The peace that is being talked about, really when the Bible talks about peace, there's a sense of fullness and completeness. What this is telling us, part of the incredible message of Christmas, is that because of Christmas, if we trust Christ, you and I can be the people God's created us to be. We can experience the completeness of God in our lives. Okay, Part of the message of Christmas is there's this amazing thing of God wants to bring all His blessings into your life, though you don't deserve them, so that you can be the person He created you to be. Maybe another way to say it is that the earthly result of Christmas is that you and I, as a strange, sinful people, are made whole in Christ. Or as the fourth verse of the song said, Adam's likeness now faced. Without Christ, who are we? We're an Adam. And the song says, get that gone. Get it effaced. God, stamp thine image in its place. To quote from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, when we trust Christ, God desires to conform us to the image of Christ for us to be who we truly were created to be, to bear His image outward, complete. That's part of the wonder of Christmas, the wonder that we can be the people God has created us to be. You know, it would be really easy for us to, to sing the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And I, I'm going to guess, I, I I tried to think this week, this last week, how many times have I in public settings sung Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now, I don't, there are some weird quirky things that stick out in my head that I keep track of. That I haven't. Um, I'm probably going to start to now. Um, but I would guess easily in public settings way more than 100 times I've probably sung that song. And that doesn't mention how many times I've heard it in our house when Christmas is going on or maybe I've sung parts of it to myself. It would be really easy for us just to do that and go, yeah, okay, did that song, let's move on. I pray that we will not let the familiarity of the words Hark the Herald Angels Sing or the familiarity of the story in Luke chapter 2 about an angel showing up to shepherds and then a Hosts of angels showing up to add emphasis to the message. I pray in the familiarity of all of that that we would not miss the unexpected wonder. The wonder of an incredible message being given to common people. The wonder of the creator then the sustainer of life coming as a baby, so that a strange, sinful people could be made whole please receive the wonder of Christmas. Please receive the Savior who came at Christmas, who died on the cross on Good Friday for your sins, and who rose again on Easter Sunday. You know what? His story may be incredibly familiar to you, but the only way you and I really receive the benefit of that story is to trust Christ, to turn from our sin to God and trust Him as our Savior. Folks, in all the the familiarity of the story, please don't lose the wonder. Please receive the Savior who came at Christmas. Please receive the full wonder He wants to give you today. Let's pray.